Today is March 14th, 2022. Happy Monday. This is the Happy Market Research Podcast. I'm Jamin Brazil, your host. We have a very special guest today, but before we get to that, here's a word from our sponsors. Support for the Happy Market Research Podcast and the following message comes from Michigan State's Marketing Research Program and HubUX. I've done hundreds of interviews with today's top minds in market research. Many of them trace their roots to Michigan State's Marketing Research Program. Are you looking for a higher paying job to expand your professional network and to achieve your full potential in the world of market research? Today, the program has tracks for both full-time students and working professionals. They also provide career support, assisting students to win today's most sought after jobs. In fact, over 80% of Michigan State's marketing research students have accepted job offers six months prior to graduating. If you are looking to achieve your full potential, check out MSMU's program at broad.msu.edu slash marketing. WX is a research operations platform for private panel management, qualitative automation, including video audition questions and surveys. For a limited time, user seats are free. If you'd like to learn more or create your own account, visit hubux.com. If you were born on Wednesday, March 11th, 1942, then Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo was the number one song in the U.S. on your 79th birthday. The song went to number one on January 23rd, 2021 and stayed at the top of the charts for three weeks. It is a song about being 16, how with freedom comes heartbreak, and how with heartbreak comes strength. We'll be playing the song in its entirety, and I hope you enjoy it, no matter your age. I got my driver's license last week, just like we always talked about. Cause you were so excited for me to finally drive up to your house. But today I drove through the suburbs, crying cause you weren't around. And you're probably with that blonde girl who always made me doubt. She's so much older than me. She's everything I'm insecure about. Yet today I drove through the suburbs. Our guest today is Nick Graham, the global head of insights and analytic at Mondelez. Mondelez traces its roots to the National Dairy Corporation, which was founded in 1923. One year later, the Kraft Cheese Company was founded and listed on the New York Stock Exchange. In 1930, National Dairy was then acquired by Kraft. So fast forward to September 7th, 2009, Kraft made a hostile takeover bid for a British company that probably many of you know, Cadbury, the makers of dairy milk and Bonneville chocolates. This bid was eventually successful. Then on August 2011, Kraft Food announced a split into two public companies, an international snack food company and a North American grocery company. The snack food company is called Mondelez. It would be the legal successor of the old Kraft Foods, while the grocery store company would be a new entity known as the Kraft Foods Group. The split was completed on October 2012. It was structured so that Kraft Foods changed its name to Mondelez 
and spun off Kraft Foods Group as a publicly traded company. Today, Mondelez is an American multinational candy, food, beverage, and snack food company based in Chicago, Illinois. Mondelez has an annual revenue of about $26 billion and operates across approximately 160 companies. Nick, welcome to the Happy Market Research Podcast. Thank you very much. I love that little potted history of Mondelez as well. It's uh, like going back in time. That's great. Yeah, well, and almost 100 years, right? Yeah, that's right. Which is very interesting. And chocolate or candy, I should say more broadly, being a part of our lives for that duration and even before. But I want to talk briefly, you and I were very briefly introduced at Qual360 North America in Washington, D.C. this week. That is uh, the first-ish week of March 2022. The theme of the Qual360 North America conference was Empowering Insights Through Emotion. Your topic was titled Rehumanizing Research in the Era of Big Data. Please give us some highlights. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, great that we could actually be there together in person to uh, for the first time in two years. So yeah. essentially, the, the thesis of the presentation that I gave, very much sort of in line with the Qual360 uh, topic itself, was kind of premised on this feeling I have that we're a bit at a bit of an inflection point in uh, the history of, of the market research industry. You know, you've seen this huge explosion in data of all kinds over the last five to 10 years, and it's really accelerated in the last two years. So the explosion of big data from social media, right? I, I talked a lot about the huge, incredible statistics you read about the amount of the data that's posted every minute, every second on social media, the, you know, the 6 million people who are shopping online every minute. And then on top of that, all of the qualitative, quantitative data that's being generated through the enablement of kind of fast term research as well which has accelerated over the last two years. I think for me, the one thing that stands out is every time I talk to marketing and insights professionals, and again, it was really evident at the Core 360 conference as well, is despite all of that huge amount of additional data that we have, it doesn't necessarily feel like we have better, more revealing, fresher, more breakthrough insights than ever before. It just feels like we have a lot more data than we had before. And so really the... The whole premise of the, the presentation was about why do we think that is and what do we think is missing? And the examples I gave, and uh, indeed I gave a, a couple of examples from Cadbury and uh, some, and Oreo and some of our other brands, was that I think that while there's no getting away from the fact that our industry is changing and this huge influx of data is going to be incredibly powerful and incredibly important, we can't lose sight of the fact that Ultimately, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is understand human behavior and human beings are complex, emotional, multifaceted, right? We should, we all know that. We all experience that. And so in addition to all of the sort of the big, fast data, we need to create the space for this slow, deep data and slow, deep research that really gets at the heart of what drives and what motivates human behavior. And I think by pairing those together... That means unlocking a lot of the sort of deep, hidden emotional insights. If you compare those together with that big, fast data, that I think is the unlock to get us to those really breakthrough, really breakthrough, really powerful insights. And that really impacts the manifestation of that insights and, and how it translates across the organization and then ultimately into marketing and product, of course. I was drawn during the conference to the presentation. Did you hear Yogesh's? 
Yeah, it was uh, just one or two presentations after mine, I think, right? Yeah, that's right. And he talked about basically these micro, like like leveraging these micro moments for mm. macro implications, right? Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was really interesting. And and your your storytelling, you leveraging the video uh, as we just discussed earlier, that emotion that was captured of the how a, of sharing chocolate was just was just so powerful. How did you get to the sharing being like of that delicious substance, <laughs> uh, sharing to be like the thing that resonates? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting because we obviously, as a company that's uh, made chocolate for well a century and beyond, right? Uh, if you include the history of Cadbury in there as well. We know a lot about chocolate. We know that uh, it's uh, regularly consumed. That um, and indeed, I think one in two chocolate occasions involve some level of sharing or gifting in some way. Um, so we knew there was an interesting space in that, and we've obviously, you know, always known there's an interesting space in that. When we were working on this new campaign for Cadbury Dairy Milk in in the UK, what we wanted was to find a, a deeper insight, though, into that territory, into that space. Because again, like we knew a lot about when sharing was happening, who people were with, but it was all very still surface level. And I think if you're going to get to that deeper insight, you just have to dig deeper. So one of the one of the changes we made when we did the um, qualitative research is we set up the research and asked people to talk about moments of sharing that happened during their day and during the week, and really look at like what would those moments look like, what they felt like. But then I think the critical shift that we made is we just stopped asking questions. Because I think one of the traps we often fall, to in, fall into in market research is probing too much, pushing too much. Well, why did you do this? Well, why did you do that? Sort of steering and directing the conversation. And what we really wanted to do is give the space to the people we were talking to, to tell their own story and to, to discover and to find the serendipitous you know, insights that you wouldn't necessarily know where to look for. And one of the, the interesting things is we did that. We got, gave people imagery, we gave them language. But again, we allowed them to really tell their own stories over the, the period of time that we were with them. And one of the interesting things that really stood out for us as we sort of stepped back and we looked at all of the research was it was really these unexpected moments that really seemed to melt people's hearts, right? It was those moments that you could you could tell from the way they talked about the moments that they were the where you felt so close to somebody and where this sort of, you got this emotional sort of rush of joy was in those moments when somebody gave you a little gift, shared something with you that was completely out of the blue, completely unexpected. Maybe to say thank you for something, maybe just to show their love, but it came it really sort of came out of the blue. And again, no one really ever said that. No one has ever been able to articulate that in the research. But I think that was what we were able to sort of decode and disentangle from all of the stories that we heard. And for me, I think... The power was really letting the people we spoke to tell their own story and not try and push and probe them and, and give them that space. I think that's what allowed us to stumble on that deeper, that deeper motivational insight. And that was really the genesis to the, the advert that I showed, which was um, an advert from Cadbury Dairy Milk back in 27, 2018, where it shows a, a little girl buying a bar of Cadbury Dairy Milk for her for her mom's birthday. Again, sort of like a little surprise. But the real surprise moment is the bargaining she gets into with the shopkeeper, where she's basically offering up 
everything she has, little buttons, a little uh, unicorn toy that she has in order to pay for it. And not only the wonderful generosity in that, but then the unexpected moment when the, uh, the shopkeeper gives her back, obviously what is her most prized possession, which is this little little unicorn toy. And I think this just this vignette of little moments of unexpected kindness, unexpected generosity. I mean, it's no surprise that it's been, it continues to be to this day, one of our best uh, performing adverts ever. But again, it all kind of came from treating the research in a different way and, and creating a lot more space for discussion and discovery. Great. We're going to listen to that ad right now. There's a mom and child who are very busy running to work. Mom takes a phone call. Daughter stands outside a corner store, walks in, and eyes some chocolate. I'd like more chocolate, please. The shopkeeper looks outside and sees the mom, eyes the chocolate. Slides the chocolate across the table. Daughter pulls out some coins, buttons looks longingly in her coin purse, a beautiful little plastic ring, and finally a toy unicorn. Shopkeeper eyes get big, slides the chocolate across the counter and gives her back the unicorn. There's a glass and a half in everyone. When you think about the discussion guide that moderators used for that qualitative work, was it largely just blank? Mm. Yeah, it was intentionally pretty empty. I started my career in qualitative research. I will be honest that there was nothing I hated more than this 75-page discussion guide. Because at that point, you're like, well, I'm just basically doing a quantitative interview in person. There's no real space for again, discovery and exploration of this. Um, and I, I mean, I was, I was always that annoying <laughs> qualitative researcher who would go, okay, I'm going to take this 15-page discussion guide, I'm going to turn it into six questions that I'm actually going to build my discussion around and then obviously allow space for probing and prompting as, as we go. And that's really much, very much how we treated this research, which is we said, look, there is some fundamental questions we're trying to understand, but we, don't, we intentionally don't know what we're going to discover because we don't want to try and bias and, and preempt the research too much. We want to really go with the flow and see where the stories lead us. So what we would do as we, um, as we went through the research is we heard some of the themes that were coming out. If there was an area that we thought was really interesting, we might try and probe around that. But again, we tried to allow the discussion guide to be, as you say, as, as blank as possible so we could discover and learn as we went. It's interesting because I've always struggled with this particular point and on both sides of it, right? I tend to over-engineer the discussion guide. And as I was listening to your presentation, I was thinking to myself, my God, I've been doing it wrong for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, I think, you know, everybody works in a different way. I just, as a qualitative researcher, I always find it hard to then really concentrate on the discussion if I was true structured in it but again that was maybe just me i just found it much easier to get to like what are the fundamental questions i need to answer and then you can treat it more like a conversation because i think yeah. you know you'll get to all of the key relevant points 
Uh, yeah, right. I mean, it's it's a function of late. I, I don't mean to assert this for anybody else, by the way, uh, my audience. So please uh, don't hear what I'm not saying. But for me, I think it, in hindsight, you know, in a lot of ways, it's just a function of laziness. But I, what I mean by that is, you know, it's it's easy to kind of move from this to that, you know, and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. And then from that, create your report, right? Yeah. Because you've functionally are just like filling in the blank uh, in a summary format. And it requires a lot less thinking when you're doing the summary and then also a lot more work when you're actually having that dialogue because there's a presence that has to, you have to exactly. be very present in that conversation as opposed to, you know, I can kind of like let you talk and then I get to my next question. Right. And I think, I think we've all been in, in research scenarios where you can feel there's a really good conversation happening and then suddenly the moderator's like, okay, so now I'm going to go a completely different topic or, or I'm going to ask the same question again. You're like, no, 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 there's something really rich in what you were talking about. And you just, I know when we, when we did the Cadbury work, and I've seen this multiple times when we've done other pieces of research as well, we just did some behavioral disruption work in the gum category as well, where again, we tried to keep the, the discussion guide, if you like, as, as thin as possible to allow space for discovery. But it's really, it's actually really difficult now as a client because you're like, well, there's all these things I want to ask. And, and so you have to you have to have the confidence and the conviction and I guess the trust in the moderator as well that you know you'll get to all of those things. You don't need to over-engineer it. You know you will get there. It is a bit scary when <laughs> you look at the, the discussion guide and it's pretty empty because, again, you just don't want to over, over-engineer and over-structure it. You need to allow space for it to be a natural conversation as well. I will be doing some focus groups, or rather, excuse me, IDIs in the coming week, and uh, we'll be leveraging this approach. So I'm really excited about it, and thank you for the for the tip. My next question is, what do you see as the biggest issue facing consumer insights today? It's a great question. I mean, I think I sort of teed it up in the introduction to the, the presentation as well, which is, I almost think we have so much data right now, um, which is great in lots of respects, and I think it's enabling, certainly the speed at which we're getting data now is fantastic and the ability, therefore, to be part of the conversation and and direct decisions in real time. But just the sheer amount of data, I think, is almost a little overwhelming. And then from that, trying to really find the true insights, the things that are going to be breakthrough and fresh and unlock new opportunities, as opposed to just data points that are going to validate what we already know. I think trying the sorting all of that out and trying to find that needle in the middle of the haystack or the data stack, should I say, of information that we have, I think that is that is one of the biggest challenges. I see it every day in the team, which is just the challenge of sorting through all of that and, and having the time and space to try and sort through all of that data and that information. And then from that, unlock some powerful insight from all of that. I think that is, I mean, it's always been a challenge, but I think it's just... It's even more acute now, now that we have so much data to deal with at the, and obviously more and more every single day. As you think about what the end result is, right? When I started my career in the nineties, there was this literally a term we use called the thump factor. And, you know, a mm-hmm. customer was going to spend a hundred thousand dollars with us mm-hmm. on a project. So it, the report better be big enough where it made a noise when you set it on the table. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, I remember. Yeah. Right. And, and then today, you know, people don't read, even executives. And mm-hmm. and so it's all about creating these shortcuts to key insights as opposed to, you know, all the charts and graphs, et cetera, et cetera. 
do you see the role of insights moving more and more towards consulting slash actually like the action that's taken against it, against the, the findings? I think one of the things we've been talking about a lot within Mondelez is how, from an insights and analytics standpoint, like how do we em- truly embrace AI, technology, automation, to automate as much as we can of the research data analytics process, the sort of heavy lifting. And you saw this a lot at Paul 360 as well, which is, I think, uh, a number of the speakers sort of impassionately imploring the qualitative research industry to say, like, don't be afraid of automation. Like, it could actually be your friend because there's so much unstructured data. Imagine you could actually synthesize this much more quickly so that, to your to your point, so that we can spend much more time on the consulting verse. So what does this mean? So what's the really big insight? So what are the implications for the organization? And so what we've talked about within Mondelez is how do we streamline the what and even to a certain extent the why so we can spend much more of our time on the so what and the what's next? Because that's that's really where we can create the competitive advantage for the business is translating all of this data into what do we do with this information now? Where do we go with this? What does it mean for our brands? What does it mean for our business? And again, what are we not asking about that we need to be asking about because it's going to be here six months from now, a year from now, whatever. So I do think you're right. We've got to find the right balance because that data, we still need to find ways to collect that data, synthesize that data, or data of all different kinds, qualitative and quantitative. So we still need to play a role in that, but we need to find a way to manage that differently and really rethink that our role isn't just collecting and synthesizing that data. Our role is being the translator, being the bridge into the business, making sense of it for the business. So it can actually be turned into something that is, yeah, is truly going to drive competitive advantage. <laughs> exactly. And it's really fun, right? I mean, the more that we can see as insights professionals, the more that we can see that kind of insight to action and even yep. potentially influence it, it, it definitely makes, at least for me, a much more engaging experience. So my last question, what is your personal motto? Interesting. Um, I would say, I don't know if I have a personal motto, although it's interesting. Somebody asked me this question a while ago and something came so, something came to mind, so I'll share this with you, which is people just want to be heard. That was the, in this conversation I was having with somebody in my team is what I came up with. And the more I thought about it, I thought it was just like it was a, a slightly throwaway when I thought about it. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, actually, I think this is very inherent to my perspective on why I got into insights and analytics in the first place, right? Which is, I think, people just want to be heard, want to be understood. And then even, you know, as I've come in, you know, I've been in this role in Mondelez for the last year. And it's been my go-to thought every time as I've met somebody, as I've met different functions, is you just realize that fundamentally that same principle applies to everything. People just want to be heard. They want to be understood. And what a powerful role you can play as a researcher, both in your own organization, but obviously also understanding the people who buy your products and brands as well is just hearing them, understanding them, giving them a voice, I think is such a powerful uh, and incredibly powerful role that we can play. Our guest today has been Nick Graham, the Global Head of Insights and Analytics at Mondelez. Nick, thank you very much for joining me on the Happy Market Research Podcast. Thanks a lot. Great to be here. Everyone else, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your Monday.